Hello, and welcome to Her Voice, a podcast by HerMD. HerMD is a female-forward wellness center empowering women through comprehensive health, beauty, and wellness services. Today, HerMD founder Dr. Somi Javed and Chief Growth Officer Kamel Caruso are joined by Leah Schuster-Beer, the founder and CEO of Alula. Alula is the first digital platform dedicated to helping cancer patients manage the symptoms and at-home care needs that cancer treatment brings. We are so excited to welcome you today, Leah. Welcome to the Her Voice podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I've been looking forward to it all week. I know, right? It's a good way to almost end a Friday. If you can watch a lesson, it's near the end of the day on a Friday. So it's always good to um, end it on a good note with a podcast with uh, two amazing women, Leah and Somi Javade, our founder and chief medical officer of HerMD. Thank you for having us. Yes. Yeah, so we're going to dive right in. And so today we're talking about a really important topic. We're talking about sexual dysfunction and also medically induced menopause for survivors. Um, and I know Leah, you were a survivor yourself and founded your company to help survivors. Can you share some stories you hear from, you know, women who reach out to you and also share a little bit about your founding story? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yes. As you described, I founded Alula, which is a virtual symptom burden clinic out of six years of painful unplanned R&D. It started off with my mom. Uh, breast cancer diagnosis in 2016. And I had a fast follow diagnosis just as six months after she landed in remission. Um, we're both in remission, which is gorgeous. And we have a unique mother daughter uh, going through cancer back to back experience uh, for both of us really impacted our body image sexual dysfunction, menopause, reproductive processes in different ways, given that we're, you know, two decades apart. But um, I was diagnosed with a rare form of non-Hodgkin's in 2018. And uh, what I was shocked by from minute one was the total lack of prep around the reproductive process. For me, it started off with um, wanting to preserve my fertility and finding myself uh, negotiating with my doctor about when I could start chemotherapy and immunotherapy and carving out space to rush emergency IVF. And, uh, we know this is a problem that millions of patients, not just women, by the way, I think for men, it's even worse. And they're actually often counseled at an even smaller rate. Um, that is still sort of a taboo topic, which is totally wild. Um, but that was sort of the first chapter of this. And then what I think a lot of oncologists don't prepare cancer patients for is just all of the ways that the, um, the immunotherapy, uh, the surgical intervention, depending on your type of cancer, especially, uh, for cervical cancer patients, um, and the chemotherapy itself can put you into, uh, overnight menopause. So for me personally, I went into menopause two different times. Cause I had a recurrence four months after I completed my first cycle of treatment, um, and nobody should be in manically induced menopause at 30 or in your thirties. We, our team was just talking to a breast cancer survivor who was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer, uh, in 2019. And, um, we welcome in on a weekly basis. We speak, we speak to multiple cancer patients to continue to improve our product. And, uh, the emotion in her voice, like her voice started to crack the minute she started talking about um, her medically induced menopause and her reproductive systems and how she felt so lost in the oncology treatment planning process. Um, and that's what we hope with the Lula, we could start to crack to be that hub of clinical conversations that you're not having with your oncologist. We believe, well, the research shows that oncologists are incentivized by the healthcare system, and that's how they're trained to really treat the tumor. And majority of all of our cancer research dollars are going to advance the cure. I have nothing against that. I wouldn't be here without that tremendous laser focus. Um, but what I think this next phase of cancer survivorship means is having to deal with the fallout. And um, for 
both men and women, uh, the reproductive fallout is enormous. I mean, you, you really have no options. You're sort of at a dead end. A lot of these processes are not necessarily reversible. Um, and there's just so little education from everything around what does the medication Lupron really mean, which um, is used when you have to uh, turn off your reproductive process to undergo certain chemotherapy. In my case, I needed it to, to receive ablative chemotherapy when I was getting a stem cell transplant. Um, and I'll never forget when I was having a prep appointment with my bone marrow doctor. And I sort of said like, well, when do you think I'm going to get my period back? And she was like, you're never going to get your period back. And I just, it wasn't like all of the prepping for 21 days in the hospital. It wasn't the, um, the fighting for your life part that, that like was what broke me. What broke me was that I was never going to be in charge of my body as a woman. Um, and what we hear from our community constantly is, you know, a craving to have those conversations. And that's why you see so many subreddits having those conversations instead of those hot conversations being in the, in the doctor's office. That's why you are seeing um, so many of those conversations uh, existing in different type of, you know, organic patient communities. And what that says to me is we're at a moment where those clinical conversations need to be part of the care delivery. And what I'm so excited about with your organization is you're obviously leading that in a big way for at large. So I am so sorry that you went through that. Um, just like you and what you're developing, we hear that all the time at HerMD. And I will tell you that most providers do not go out with that intention, you know, to avoid talking about it. Most of them are not trained. Totally. Um, and then oncologists for certain are very data-driven and they're all about, you know, cure or treating the cancer, or getting rid of the tumor. Very little of them, and I should know I'm married to an oncologist. Oh, you Very, are? Yes, I'm married to a medical oncologist, and he hears it all the time, but now he he has learned through her MD and through us to make sure to talk about sexuality and sexual health and reproductive health. And it's it's gotten easier for him as he's married to the founder of her MD and a place where he knows that his patients can be taken care of for survivorship. But he owns it, just like, you know, it's, they weren't trained, number one. I talk about invisible patients because here you are taking the biggest cliff dive of your life of going into medically induced menopause. And what do I mean by that? You know, most people who are not surgical or just what we call natural, you know, slowly over time, your hormone levels go down. What you experienced is almost overnight, right? And so estrogen and testosterone, it, it helps us feel euphoric and young and lubricates our vaginas and our joints and our hair and our skin. And it gives us energy and sex drive and orgasm and, and makes us feel great. And imagine that akin to being on six cups of coffee a day and then going down to zero, right? And how your body withdraws all of a sudden from the lack of those, of those hormones. And mm -hmm. so oncologists, number one, are not trained. Number two, the insurance system has completely broken our healthcare model. When you have this limited amount of time to talk to your oncologist about your treatment plan and your medications and the side effect of chemo and, you know, just hearing the word cancer stops people on their tracks, um, you don't have enough time built into the schedule to talk to people about sexuality, body image, and all of the other ways that cancer is going to affect you. And so that, that's the second problem. So it needs to start occurring in the oncologist's office, but what we need to recognize is that we need to make sure patients get into the right people's hands or offices, and at least we start the conversation with the oncologists. And, you know, because the effects, like you said, can affect you from head to toe, whether it's memory, hot flashes, sleep, weight gain, body image, sex drive, painful sex, reproductive issues, you know, like yourself, especially when you're diagnosed with cancer in your what we consider reproductive years or reproductive window. Um, but kudos to you for not just being a patient and accepting the status quo and recognizing that patients deserve better. And through innovative solutions, we can offer human beings a, a better quality of life and better options. And, and what is heartbreaking to me is you know, my mission is to give people their voice and their power back. 
Mm -hmm. and um, for cancer not to be pervasive in all places of their life. Like for me, my job as a survivorship doctor who specializes in sexual health is to kick cancer out of the bedroom. It doesn't Mm -hmm. belong there, right? My patients do not want to feel like a cancer survivor in the bedroom. They want ownership of that part of their life back. Well, kudos to what you do. I think um, you're so right. So much of that resonates. The onus, I, you know, is not necessarily on the oncologist as I could bet you, I don't have the statistics, maybe you do, of how many of them in their training had a day on the reproductive ramifications of treatment. They, of course, know about it from a side effect panel on the drug indications that they're putting together. But a lot of the protocol is designed by the National Cancer Institute. And it's tested across national cancer comprehensive systems across the country. And these are the the places where people are flocking um, to go get the most advanced uh, life-saving disease. Um, Sorry, the most advanced life-saving treatment. Um, And you're also so right, the the limited nature of you have 15 to 20 minutes with your oncologist. And there have been how many apps have been designed to help you optimize, to help you remember what is the side effect du jour that you want to strategize with, with your physician. Um, what we know in, in general with symptom burden and specifically unresolved symptom burden about around can- with cancer patients is that it's the number one reason that cancer patients are quitting life-saving treatment. Um, it just gets too much. Um, what we also know specifically with women is that it's also the fear of the ramifications uh, may are impacting whether women are signing on to chemotherapy. The, there's a statistic that breast cancer patients are falling into depression more by alopecia, the process of losing your hair virtually overnight from chemotherapy, than they are becoming depressed because of the diagnosis itself. What we also know is that women are incurring significantly higher rates of side effect burden. So women have a 34% higher risk of severe side effects from cancer treatment than men do. And so, and as you said, beautifully, this impacts you from head to toe. This is kind of layering into this colossal impact on your survivorship outcomes. Um, And that's why I think we do have a unique opportunity over the next several decades, you know, leveraging the past half a century of this quote unquote war on cancer that has helped us arrive to the best survivorship rates we've ever had. Um, disclaimer there, of course, the last couple of years have, uh, are unfortunately putting that in a precarious, uh, setting, but that withstanding, I think we finally have a chance to really bring quote unquote quality of life into the conversation in a much bigger way and elevate that, um, to the strategy around the protocol, the strategy around helping you mitigate from day one, how you're going to feel. So you can have both so that you can kick the disease's butt. And so that you can also really manage what's happening to you from head to toe and in the bedroom and in the living room and in, in the subway, uh, because your body doesn't know where you are when you're erupting into a hot flash in an Uber on your way to a massive important meeting, your body doesn't know which happened to me. I last year erupted in hot flashes during an investor pitch deck, like literally just like started deluging and sweat. And she knew she was speaking to a cancer survivor and that I wasn't medically induced menopause. It's part of, um, you know, what I, what I love to tell investors about in terms of why symptom burden is such an important piece of, uh, driving cancer survivorship rates. But, um, I think it's, I think there's also a clinical term around sense of coherence and just having those conversations, even if, uh, there aren't, even if some things are not avoidable. And I know we'll talk about that in this conversation too, but just knowing that this is normal and you're not broken. And this is statistically happening to, you know, X percent of patients that look like you, that in and of itself is so powerful and and makes you feel like you can get through every day. And again, um, I think both of our organizations are just uh, by having these honest, vulnerable conversations and bringing that in authentically into the care, like we will map to 
restructuring the insurance payments to make sure this gets covered. I have full conviction in that. And, you know, hopefully five to 10 years from now, um, this won't need to be as much of a conversation because so much will be mitigated. Well, I'll tell you, I think the tide is changing and I think the revolution is finally happening. But so just in 2018, ASCO, right, the American Society for Clinical Oncology, um, so this was after your diagnosis, finally put out a consensus statement about survivorship. And in that, they talked about sexuality. And all of these points they mentioned, what we have to figure out is how we're going to train all these oncologists to do this. And how are we going to, secondly, implement implement this into oncology offices and truly carve out the time? And so the first point was you have to bring up sexuality and you should do it alone with the patient. And if they want to address it further and they want their partner involved, then you should invite the partner as well. You should offer counseling services and address body image issues. You should address vaginal and vulvar dryness. And they even talk about DHEA as an option for treatment, which is a hormone, but it's local and it very minimal is absorbed into the bloodstream. And a lot of oncologists I know are actually okay with this. They talk about vaginal moisturizers. They talk about Addy, which is the first ever um, drug that was FDA approved for HSDD, which is hypoactive sexual desire disorder. They talk about getting people into sexual health counseling, offering dilators, vaginal dilators, if the um, vaginal opening has gotten smaller. I hate the word atrophic. Women mm -hmm. don't like it either, but due to lack of hormone, offering pelvic floor physical therapy, um, that it is their due diligence to talk about menopause and hormone replacement therapy, if allowed, right? Because if some... Some cancers patients can be on hormone replacement therapy. Traditionally not GYN cancers, traditionally not breast cancer. It just depends. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I know it doesn't sound like any of this occurred, you know, during your appointments, but this also, the statement was released afterwards. But we're going to make these decisions and these statements are going to come out and then it's going to take us years to put this into action. But at least when I saw this, I was like, oh my God, you know, there is something about Addy in yeah. the oncology literature. This this was mind-blowing to me. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's so interesting. And it's fascinating. I didn't know about that. Um, I didn't know about that statement, but I had two different experiences with my sexual health counseling in 2018 and 2019. So that completely makes sense. In 2018, I was diagnosed, you know, on January 11th that year within three weeks, I, I did an emergency fertility preservation, got my PICC line inserted, kicked off chemotherapy and immunotherapy. An aggressive, you know, uh, I had six cycles, about 18 weeks of treatment um, that was really focused on scanning for, my doctors were laser focused on the PET scans and getting this tumor the size of a navel orange done with, right? Um, and I think I was too, uh, and I just didn't really know or was counseled on the repercussions. They sort of were kind of happening. Um, it was when my cancer came back that I had the luxury almost, and I don't think I would have ever started Alula had I not had cancer twice, um, because I kind of already knew what was scary the first time was less scary. And the second time I was really focused on my integrative healing while I was in treatment. And that meant dealing with my psychosocial state that meant, um, acquiring a therapist right away. That also meant, um, continuing to invest in my relationship and my sex life with my husband. And it was the second time that I got uh, sick, um, that I started to go to the women's clinic at Memorial Sloan Kettering, where is where I received treatment, but it wasn't it wasn't until I was in a lot, a lot of pain. So I had experienced vaginal atrophy, significant vaginal dryness. Um, my sex drive literally disappeared overnight. And I was really um, also focused on ridding my diet, uh, my makeup, all, my cleaning supplies, everything in my apartment that had any ounce of carcinogen 
especially after my stem cell transplant, because I felt like I had the luxury of deleting a immune system that was creating cancer. And I just was so careful about that. And so I wanted to make sure that anything I put back into my body didn't have anything that would cause additional cancer. Um, and I was, I was stunned that there were solutions out there, that there was actually a clinic on site in the same building where I had my stem cell transplant that um, had trained specialists focused on enrolling you into pelvic floor therapy, that you could do pelvic floor therapy on video in the comfort of your living room, in the comfort at your desk, at work. Um, I was floored that there was something that could help me with um, the vaginal dryness, which caused a lot of pain during sexual intercourse. And then that caused me to not even want to have sexual intercourse. And that had ramifications for my and my husband's intimacy, of course, which is not unique to me. Um, and it was just, it was really interesting that, um, it was, it was just empowering that there, there was a way out of that. Um, and I, I most recent, and then a few years after that, I finally started hormonal treatment. And the minute I got an estrogen patch on, <laughs> I can't describe it. I actually, during one of our all hands during highs and lows, my, um, I presented this estrogen patch to my team and I was like, I just need you to take a look at this, like inch by inch patch, this like sticker that is giving me life that is giving me back my energy and is giving me back my, um, libido and is giving me back like my, it really felt like giving me back my womanhood and giving me back my, my personality. Yeah. Um, lack of estrogen can affect us. Like I said, head to toe, um, but cognitively, you know, there's mild cognitive decline. So women complain about word finding, memory issues, increased anxiety and depression, and not being able to function either as a mom or at home or in the boardroom, or they walk into pantries and they forget why they went there. And, you know, there was that article about 900,000 women leaving the workforce because of menopausal symptoms, or I have women, you know, walking into the offices with towels wrapped around their neck. And it's um, very distressing. And up until now, there hasn't been a lot of attention paid to how many facets of our life menopause can negatively impact. And when you're young and you don't have a lot of colleagues or peers going through the same thing on top of going through cancer, it can be incredibly isolating and lonely um, going through menopause and then watching your sex drive literally dry up, you know, before your eyes. And so, you know, aside from if patients aren't candidates for hormone replacement therapy, um, even locally or systemically like you, there are uh, radiofrequency treatments. There are CO2 treatments that we can use to treat um, vaginal dryness. There are lubricants and vaginal moisturizers. So I don't want anyone listening who um, isn't a candidate for hormone replacement therapy to think that, they, that there's nothing for them because there are a multitude of treatment options um, for them to get back to where they want to for their goals, for their sexuality and their self-esteem. So Somi, I wanted to ask um, also, because first of all, Leah, I was so moved and I was like, I'm not going to cry. So I'm not going to cry. That's an incredible story and path that you went through. And we covered so much. And as someone who is just a person hearing this, um, I was incredibly moved and you brought up so many things that cancer patients and survivors go through. Um, I think it would be really great to outline also um, what you can expect as a cancer patient um, with regards to sexual dysfunction and menopause. Um, what are cancer patients and survivors facing? I think there was a stat and it's so unclear that like 40 to 100% of cancer patients will face sexual dysfunction, which is like clearly almost everybody at that point. So what does that dysfunction look like? I know we talked about sexual pain um, and vaginal dryness leading to pain um, and low libido as well, but why is that happening to our bodies? So I'll, I'll answer some of that. So it's either chemo induced, sometimes surgically induced if patients have hysterectomies and they have their ovaries removed. So there is a cliff dive of the estrogen and testosterone. 
And we know that testosterone is needed to support all of our um, domains of sexuality. And what do I mean by that? Um, for those of us sex nerds who practice sexual health for a living, it's the way we break down all the different symptoms or buckets that patients describe, whether it's orgasm or arousal or desire or moisture of the vaginal canal or pain. So all of that is negatively impacted because all of a sudden your hormonal levels are almost undetectable. And so the very common symptoms are decreased desire, um, sexual pain, um, problems with orgasm. Sometimes people either complain about increased latency to orgasm, fancy word for it takes too long, um, or it disappears altogether. So they sometimes they have pain externally or around the opening um, to the vaginal canal. Sometimes they have pain in the canal. Sometimes they end up with pain deep in their abdomen, especially from surgery. A lot of times they're too embarrassed to get naked in front of their partners anymore, especially breast cancer patients who felt like there's a study that supports a lot of women associate their breasts with their femininity and their womanhood. And if they've had a mastectomy and chosen not to have reconstruction or they're not there yet, a lot of them say that even if their desire is there, they're too embarrassed or they feel like Leah described broken and they don't want to get naked in front of their partners. And so that can be prohibitive um, if they've lost their hair and they've lost their eyelashes, you know, and they just don't feel like they're same sexual selves. You know, so these are all of the things that we hear um, from cancer patients or my patients who are actively going through treatment. They're wrecked, they're tired, they're nauseated, they have headaches, they don't feel well, or they're just plain exhausted. And so for them, sexuality really takes a back seat because all they can focus on is trying to get better. And so it's a lot. You can imagine all of that that I just spoke about, plus talking about tumors and metastasis and scans and labs and how much there is to discuss with patients. And I can only imagine, Leah, when you get the diagnosis and you heard, hear the word cancer, like the world stops. And then trying to concentrate on reproductive health and sexual health and what's going to happen to my body and, and how many years am I going to have to go through this treatment, it's just so much to process you know, from the patient. So that's why I think we have to be very cognizant about the way we deliver the news, how we break it up for patients. And that's why I like... Um, you know, digital options like yours so that patients can process that information on their own time from the privacy of their own home and kind of break it down and then they can choose what further avenues they want. Um, but I think we have a huge responsibility to start talking about all of this with patients and very early on in their diagnosis so that they're prepared. It was a very long answer to your question. It was a good answer because I think it's hard what you pointed out and what Leah said, like all of a sudden you get this diagnosis and then 36 hours later, days later, you're trying to figure out a plan, not only to treat the cancer, but emergency fertility options. What does that can do to my sexual health? And you're kind of thrown into all of this. So yes, it was a long answer, but I don't know if you know anyone is really getting that type of education beforehand or like at that appointment to like think through this and this is what can happen to your body um and this is how it can impact you um with in terms of your sexual health and then also i didn't know uh the prevalence of medically induced menopause um for cancer patients how um common is that I do not know that statistic offhand, um, but it's fairly common. A lot of times you, especially with cancers that have estrogen receptors or progestin receptors, you are purposefully inducing menopause. Sometimes the medications you put patients on, you want them to have anti-estrogenic effects. And so a side effect is menopause as well. So whether it's surgical or medically induced or chemo induced, you see it with a lot of female cancers, a lot.
So Leah, you had said, you know, you asked like, when is my period going to come back? Um, once you undergo through medically induced menopause, is that permanent? In, I'm going to answer that from a medical standpoint. Sometimes yes, and sometimes no. It depends on the chemo regimen, and they are so complicated. When I, you know, my husband's a medical oncologist. It's what he does. These uh, complexity of the medications is insane, and there's so many different treatment regimens. Um, but clinically practicing 20 years, I have seen patients come out of menopause. It was a side effect, and maybe they stopped having their menstrual cycle for three years. And um, sometimes it comes back. Sometimes it never comes back. Sometimes that is also dependent upon patient's age. If they're already in perimenopause and then they take that kind of insult, sometimes they never get their period back, and then they just float back. They float into natural menopause. Um, oftentimes, the oncologists for certain cancer types will have to check and determine um, based on hormone levels, um, whether or not a patient is truly in menopause or not, because they actually have to make their therapeutic decisions based on that. And sometimes they're surprised. They think someone's menopausal, and then a couple years later, they pop out of it. So it is not 100% um, you know, an absolute end of your menstruation for everybody. Um, it really depends on patient's age, type of cancer, treatment, um, and so that those are all variables and, and age of, of diagnosis. Totally. That was my lived experience as well. Um, after my first round of our EPOC therapy, which is a combined chemo and immunotherapy regimen, it's quite aggressive. My doctors told me my period was never going to come back and it came back four months, five months later. Um, when I underwent a bone marrow transplant and a second aggressive combination therapy. Um, my doctor provided the guidance that my period wasn't going to come back three years later. It hasn't come back. Um, and now we're actually trying to get pregnant in medically induced menopause with the embryos. I froze right before I started treatment, uh, which has been its own roller coaster journey. Um, and yeah, I think what's tough is exactly what you said. So me, like, uh, I, I don't know the statistic either, but it, it seems hard to predict. And so we're sort of just, I'm trying to support myself, um, with a lot of supportive hormonal treatment and, um, other integrative practices such as acupuncture, uh, to help me with the ramifications of being in medically induced menopause, um, and treat the symptoms of that while I'm also, uh, starting to experience um, just other uh, side effects of my treatment that don't have anything to do with medically induced menopause. That includes being in lymphedema and undergoing PT for that. And um, I was recently diagnosed with radiation fibrosis in my chest and my back, which is where I received uh, 20 uh, treatments of radiation, which is the decaying of um, some of the muscle tissue there. And I'm in physical therapy for that. And so I think what's been complicated as someone celebrating three years of survivorship and three years of remission. And um, as you can see, my, my hair is back, the color of my face is back. I finally, for the first time in four years, look like my 2017 self, but I don't feel as good as I think everybody wants me to feel because you're just competing with the longitudinal impact of this care and what, what was one of the hardest things about being diagnosed on the cusp of my 30th birthday that I didn't was just nowhere on my radar was that this is going to be my life for as long as I'm lucky to be in remission. Um, and it was actually my cardiologist who had to sit down with me and say to me, um, you don't have a regular 34 year old body. You know, you have to, you know, universe willing and this sticks and you don't get a reoccurrence and you don't get diagnosed with a secondary cancer. Um, but over the next several decades, uh, the ramifications of your treatment will continue to appear and potentially become, um, more serious. And so what I didn't anticipate, and I, I'm really excited for Lula's role in this. And I think this is, um, 
the future of oncology is this investment in survivorship care and what that this quilt that you kind of have to continue to stitch in providing all of this supportive care with these new diagnoses. You know, I often say cancer patients are today's cancer patients, tomorrow's fill in the blank patient. I have more specialty doctors than I've ever had in my life. And I actually have more doctors than when I just had cancer. Cause when I just had cancer, I just went to my cancer doctors. Um, and there were multiple of them. There was someone focused on my chemo. And then there's someone focused on the media synoscopy surgery I required. And there was somebody focused on the transplant I required, but they were all, you know, as a team working towards curing me of cancer. Now what's so complicated for me is I'm at super high risk of cardiovascular disease. So I have a car- cardiologist dedicated to that. I'm in the process of trying to get pregnant. So I have a reproductive endocrinology team dedicated to that. I'm in the, you know, I'm in, um, different type of physical therapy regimens. I'm in the high risk surveillance program at MSK for breast cancer. Um, I'm rolling off of multiple cylinders. Um, while as Somi explained, I'm operating, you know, I'm at super high risk of osteoporosis. I'm trying to figure out who do I see for that? Um, I think what we're going to see over the next, um, several decades, again, as we continue to my non-clinical view is that this war on cancer that we have had for the last 50 years has made it such that we can now pay attention to all of the repercussions of treatment because so many people are surviving for so much longer. And so this is becoming part of the clinical conversation from day one. And you can see that in that ASCO statement that so many referenced. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, patients, um, I'm hoping these become kind of regimens over time and it's hard to predict what it will be like. Cause as Somi mentioned, each, uh, quilt of chemo, each quilt of cancer treatment that a patient receives is so different. Um, but I, I'm excited to one day see the data of what this really starts to mean for patients as you're. 10 years in remission, 20 years in remission, and what this means for women um, who get diagnosed in their reproductive years. You're absolutely right. We're learning on the fly for some of this because as the treatments have gotten more and more effective, patients are living longer. And then we're dealing with the repercussions of either the cancer or the treatment, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the line, because before we didn't have people living that many decades out. So the oncologists and the medical community's learning. Um, I think what we're going to see is the emergence of true um, survivorship physicians, but it is going to have to be a multidisciplinary um, effort, right? Because even myself as a gynecologist, I can handle the sexuality piece, but I need the help of counselors and pelvic floor physical therapists. And that's just talking about the sexual health care piece. I'm also equipped to deal with you know, the menopause piece and dealing with the bone health and the menopause-induced osteoporosis. You know, there's things that we can do for that besides hormones if they're not candidates. Um, We can treat the hot flashes. We can treat the other symptoms of menopause. But then, like you talked about, if there's side effects from medications that increase your risk of cardiovascular disease or you need imaging, then you're going to need this multidisciplinary, you know, team approach to dealing with survivors. And I think we're going to see... Um, survivorship experts and either teams being developed um, in centers. um, And and that's what we're going to have to do for patients. And so, yeah, Leah, you did such a great job of explaining kind of all the things that you go through post-surviving and how many different areas of your health it can touch. And I know you, you said you had founded Alula um, after your second bout, um, can you talk a little bit about, I think you have a really beautiful array of services and products and support in place for survivors because you've lived through it and you understand all the different aspects of a woman's life it can touch. Can you talk a little bit about how, um, you concepted that out and what products and services, um, you do have for your, um, for women who are survivors? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's only been recently too, that I I realized it really was getting that second diagnosis and landing in remission that second time that gave me sort of this AB test 
of what would undergoing cancer treatment, if you sort of knew how to prepare for treatment, look like on day one, that convinced me this was a massive need. You know, there's 1.8 million patients a year getting diagnosed with cancer. I think that number actually just got revised to 1.9 million. We also know that um, over the next 50 years, um, the National Cancer Institute just updated their forecast that uh, we're going to have 4 million people a year getting newly diagnosed with cancer. So um, I don't know if folks that are listening know this, but the um, the prevalence is, is increasing quite rapidly. Um, that said, the prevalence is increasing ra- quite rapidly. And as Somi described, we now have the best treatment we've ever had to treat that. And so folks are continuing to live longer. And so it is that um, holding that survivorship outcome that is driving the, the development for us. So we kicked off with the Alula Marketplace, which my first aim in building this business was at least to centralize a lot of the OTC hacks that uh, palliative care doctors, supportive care physicians, oncology nurses, and patients themselves are hacking across the country in their own windy roads of cancer treatments of the OTC products that you need at home that could provide you that non-acute support. Of course, uh, especially with the intensity of a lot of these treatments, uh, it's quite often that patients need to be hospitalized. What we know about cancer patients is that when they're more likely to go to the emergency room for um, a number of non-acute side, a lot, a number of non-acute side effects that could have been treated at home. And so that is driving the uh, development of our clinical application that we're launching later this year. Um, but our goal is at minimum to make sure you're equipped with what it is that could provide relief as it relates to the, to the sexual function piece. We've partnered with a brand called mod, uh, which has, uh, is a leader in clean, um, condoms, lubricants, uh, vibrators, and just with building out that category in our marketplace was sort of that initial, um, move to say, this needs to be part of your planning on day one that you may want to consider. Um, number one, you want to make sure you don't get pregnant during treatment because that can create a whole other situation. Um, so how do you think about being safe? If you're not yet in, in any medically induced menopause, how do you think about, um, your experience around arousal and orgasmic experience, and just wanting to have sex with your partner during treatment and, Um, how do you have that as part of your healing and part of coming back to yourself? Um, so, so that's something that we're extremely proud of. And, um, our hope as the product evolves is to really match, um, the marketplace with clinical experts who can help patients really translate your treatment plan into what you can expect in terms of the symptom burden that may come with your bespoke plan. So we're building a clinical side of the business that, um, we'll have several layers of, of digital survivorship care that is focused on everything from helping you manage your nausea and your constipation, which when I say both of those words, when those are invoked by chemotherapy or radiation, it's like you chemo induced constipation is like nothing I've ever felt in my whole life. Um, and then again, you know, working with folks to um, help patients manage through the medically induced menopause, the sexual function side of things, the lymphedema and the like. Um, and our goal, at least by stitching this virtually is to be one of those first digital survivorship clinics for, for patients. Um, and, and to really help also empower patients to come back to their oncologist and sort of say, you know, is there a woman's clinic on site? Is there pelvic floor therapy on site? The reason that's also super important is because, um, oftentimes that might be, it might be easier for you to both access that care and it might be easier for you to actually access care that's reimbursable by your insurance. Um, otherwise you're sort of on a total goose chase throughout the city where you're receiving care, trying to get, trying to access that. And, um, I do want to give credit to where it's due a lot of centers across the country, especially academic medical centers are seeing the proof in the pudding in the research of how much this is impacting survivorship outcomes. And so they are making sure that this is on site and accessible. Um, 
And perhaps in the first couple of appointments, patients are sort of optimizing to uh, get clarification on logistics around your PICC line insertion or logistic, logistics around um, your general protocol plan. But our hope is you know, as soon in that first month of treatment for you to start to think about other ramifications. And if not in the first month, um, sometime, as soon as possible, um, so that you could start to, uh, you know, access the care that you need and the relief that you're requiring. And, and my advice to patients is go into your appointment as prepared as possible. I mean, everyone starts reading about their diagnosis, but be your own advocate, especially if you do not have the luxury of being at a large academic um, cancer center and you have to be your own, um, what I call care quarterback, where you have to, you know, string all of these solutions together yourself. And so things you need to ask about are hormones and contraception. If you're not wanting to get pregnant that you are allowed to have, you know, there is a gel available that I recommend to a lot of my patients who are survivors called Fexi. It's a contraceptive gel. It doesn't contain any hormone. Um, and actually had a study that it does improve sexual function and, and acts like a lubricant, but it's also a contraceptive agent. Um, make sure you ask about, are you a candidate or should you get you know, cancer genetic testing like uh, MyRisk test? That's uh, one of the companies is Myriad that offers that, you know, that will determine, are you at risk for other types of cancers? There's a newer test out there called Gallery that actually tests you for um, proteins in your bloodstream telling you, do I have actual cancer, not a genetic predisposition? And so patients who've been through cancer before, they don't want to hear those words again. And so they will get that testing once a year. So there are, you know, so many things that you need to keep in the back of your mind um, that you sometimes have to facilitate yourself. And don't be afraid to ask these questions. And if you meet a provider that won't listen to you or won't be a partner in your healthcare, you know, Kamal and Carol have heard me say this before, then you need to find another provider because it's your body and these are the things that are going to happen to you. And like you said, Leah, that this is something you've realized that you're going to live with, you know, for the rest of your life, whether it's your reproductive health or the fact that you're in menopause or now you're having to deal with, you know, your bone health, you know, as long as you are living, these are, are side effects and ramifications that you're going to deal with. But the one place I do want you to extend grace to yourself is, is think about all of the things that your body has been through. You are going through fertility treatments. You've been through menopause. You've been through cancer. And you're still standing. And you're finding solutions for others. And um, good for you for that. Thank you so much. Well, I wanted to thank you, Leah. But I also want to um, ask you, what is coming up for Alula that you're excited about new products or services or um, updates on your end. I think our listeners would love to hear um, anything you have to share. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is such a dream and I'm ready to make an appointment. So me, <laughs> I was just literally like looking it up. <laughs> um, what's coming up for us. So as I mentioned, we kicked off the product with really this focus on the marketplace side of the product. And we're launching a clinical arm to the business. Um, I really want uh, to build a digital virtual care model that stitches a lot of what I've had to stitch myself, even being treated at an academic medical center. I very much felt that the lack of a, a quarterback, especially as it related to um, the symptom burden side of things. Um, and so uh, that's a big, that's a big strategic um, expansion for us. And then the second big piece is we are, we are standing up uh, strategic partnerships with cancer centers across the country. What we're, what, and specifically um, in a lot of their community sites, what we're hearing across the country is that a lot of the main campuses may have a women's clinic, may have supportive care, may have integrative care, but the minute that, um, you know, the, uh, the minute you look at the care outside of the main campus, um, it, a lot of that supportive care drops off. And so, uh, we have a unique opportunity to partner with those clinics and, um, start to, you know, rectify our piece of that puzzle. 
Um, and then the second piece is, uh, we're, you know, we're constantly meeting cancer patients. We have a massive, um, user experience focus this quarter. So if you're listening and you want to get in touch with us, please check us out at myalula.com. We would love to hear from you. We'd love, um, to understand your pain points. And so we can build the product that's solving for that. Um, I absolutely have the benefit of building this out of personal R and D, but as we talked about on this call, every patient's journey is so different. And what's important for us is, uh, to make sure our product is flexible to that. My message for her MD, uh, listeners. And for those of you who have, are listening to us for the first time, um, cause we get that a lot is a reminder that her MD has unique algorithms to take care of survivorship patients. We specialize in sexual health care. It's not just myself, but all of the providers. We have um, a few brick and mortar locations in Ohio and Kentucky, but we are expanding our reach via telehealth. And so we can reach those patients um, who don't have access to those cancer um, centers and do want to um, establish care with a physician who is deeply interested in sexual health and survivorship. And we'll be doing some local talks, um, spreading the word about survivorship and um, really giving patients a voice to talk about these things in a safe space. I've also created um, products that I um, believe and know are safe and very helpful um, for patients to improve their sexuality um, that are hormone-free. And so those are all the exciting things for HerMD that are coming up. Uh, Leah, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed our conversation and just want you to recognize again how brave you are and what an inspiration you are. And I'm telling you, you don't even realize because I see in the offices how many lives you've changed today just by sharing your story. That's so generous. Thank you. This episode of Her Voice has been a production of HerMD. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at HerMDHealth. If you're a provider interested in working with us, please reach out to info at HerMDHealth.com. We'll see you next time.